Woo, like David Lee Ross said, this must be just like living in paradise, baby. Of course, the podcast champion got the belt out right now because we are live and we are doing video. That's right. This is your September Sovereign Tech Patreon only Q&A hangout. And there is full on video for this. Uh, and so, you know, put on a little bit of a show here. Got the little belt. Uh, just tap it quick. Woo. Like I like to do every time I start recording. Always a good reminder. Look at the size of that baby. That is the real deal right there. That is, that is a beautiful. Mm, I don't even want to. I don't want to tell you how much I paid for that. <laughs> of course, I earned it. God damn it! I'm the podcast champion. But anyway, it is time for that hangout, and we need to get into it. Uh, of course, this is being recorded on. Just put a little date on it. This is Sunday, the sixteenth or September 16th, 2018. And, uh, well, it's been a couple weeks since we did the, the hangout. I think, uh, August hangout, we got in just like at the, just at the end of the month. Uh, of course that was because, you know, my schedule was just so crazy because I ended up going to Europe for a couple of weeks, of course, with the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, the boss. Woo. And what a time that was, uh, which I talked about on Cyber Tech Prime episodes. All right. Getting a little comfortable here, crossing the legs, laying back, uh, what's <laughs> um, I did get some preloaded questions uh, for this for this actual episode uh, or for this hangout. Um, but of course, feel free. I know there's already some of you uh, watching on YouTube live right now, uh, which is where Hangouts shifts everything through. I mean, with Google, you can't you, you don't fucking know what to call anything and you don't know what services are still out there. Uh, in fact, I was really you know, we talked about it on this week's episode it was episode 295 of Sovereign Tech, uh, the prime episode that how they uh, google killed inbox and thankfully like a couple days later you know uh, well i guess no it'd be today right because <laughs> yesterday was when we talked about it uh thankfully anyway jur tech journalists finally started coming out and saying you know google's just like burning their faithful like i mean you know the people that that will try whatever they tell whatever google tells them to try uh they just keep burning them because these people like start baking it you know start really relying upon uh their services and then Google will just cancel it on them. And it's true. That's exactly what's happening. I mean, again, we I say it all the time. We've talked about it over the years as they have canceled product after product. You know, don't rely on any Google service. I'm still in awe that Google Plus is even a thing, even though I know parts of Google Plus have been taken away, like Hangouts was originally a part of Google Plus, and that's gone, um, and, and so on. I mean, it's, yeah, just don't trust that fucking company. So uh, let's see. I really oh, there's got in the YouTube chat. I really hope Google Play doesn't go. Yeah. What was wasn't it? Was it Android Market? Was that the original name for the Play Store? Uh, but yeah, like Google Play Music, like I think that's on its, you know, that's on a clock. Like, I mean, it's just it's a matter of time before Google Play goes away, which or Google Play Music, I should say, not Google Play. Google Play is a lot of different products. Right. Uh, but Google Play Music, I think, is or at least Google Play Music All Access is kind of on its way out because i think they're trying to run with youtube music or youtube remix or whatever the hell they call that uh, again how can you keep track of all the names of these fucking services that google puts out there uh, but i agree that would actually be a shame if they dropped their their actual even their music store uh part of google play would really be a shame um because it's a great way to get some albums that that's like they're the only ones that have them i mean there's been countless times where i've bought albums through google play in fact a couple of them one of the, these are actually a little preview these are both going to be albums of the week. So maybe I'm kind of cheating. Um, these are both going to be albums of the week for, uh, for this week's Wednesday Q and a where we normally do one album a week or, well, this is going to be two, but anyway, there's a guy, his name is, uh, Robert Tepper. 
And he did, you'll know the one song that I'm going to mention. And the song is No Easy Way Out. And you'll remember that from the Rocky Four soundtrack. Just a badass song, a badass scene in a badass movie. And yes, Rocky Four is a badass movie. Not my favorite Rocky. Rocky Three is actually my favorite Rocky film. Uh, but regardless of that, anyway, everybody probably remembers that song, No Easy Way Out. Uh, I recently acquired these two albums and believe me i tried as a teenager to get my hands on these things and like fye they wouldn't order them for me i mean like they had no idea it wasn't in their system or anything and 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 at that time i doubt these albums were even 10 years old but anyway this guy did come out with at least two or three albums uh robert tepper and they're fucking dynamite like if you like kind of you know the stuff i'm into like stan bush or even anything by rick springfield that isn't jesse's girl because fuck that fucking song okay because you know people get stuck on that whenever they hear rick springfield and they don't listen to his literal 18 other albums that are just masterpieces and i'm not kidding about that like i mean you can go to ams or what is it, all allmusic.com is that is that the site that's been around forever that rates albums and everything read the reviews for rick springfield's albums and it's going to be done by it's by younger guys that are reviewing these albums and they're just like wow you know you shouldn't sound that good at 60 and everything i mean people just don't fucking know but that's because I don't know. They they either just want to listen to anything that isn't mainstream or they just buy into what the mainstream is selling them. That's usually where, where people fall into as far as camps. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so Robert Tepper, this guy has two albums. I just recently heard them. Just finally got to listen to them. You know, this is 20 years after I wanted to hear them the first time, right? And holy shit, were these these albums phenomenal. Uh, and, and But the way that I got them was through Google Play Music uh, because they had them available for like nine bucks a pop. Uh, and, and oh, man, I, I was so, so pleased with that. Uh, but anyway, um, let's see what else we got here. Google Plus is the WNBA of social media. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. Ooh, <laughs> uh, I don't like that they don't have Eagles albums. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, a lot of the a, a lot of the different well i guess itunes has some exclusives to it right and and who knows what even like that itunes what is it mastered for itunes like you get the entire kiss collection and it's mastered for itunes i don't know that there's any real difference acdc was pretty much only on on kiss and everything uh let's see rob uh, rob says i hate that song so much uh jesse's girl i'm guessing he's talking about which yeah i'm with you F- fuck that song <laughs> uh anyway let's see uh we got another one uh damn i need to watch the rocky movies again and see creed finally creed is a great movie um i mean creed is a genuinely great movie uh i mean that got a lot of really good really positive press which still amazes me and creed 2 is coming out is that this year that creed 2 comes out i can't wait for that uh that that's really exciting stuff um anyway let's get into uh yeah okay yeah so so it was confirmed that the song that's hated is jesse's girl yeah i hate that song i mean he has to play it every time i see him in concert i get it that he has to play it but fuck does that guy have a just a i mean so many kick-ass songs even later stuff like much later stuff things that came out in the aughts there's an album shock denial anger and acceptance i challenge anyone to listen to that by rick springfield and you tell me that that sucks. You're, I mean, you, you, re, there's no way like you're full of shit because it's such a broad album. It has such a broad range of styles. And I mean, there's like some really heavy stuff. Like there's a song called Jesus saves, but it's not what you think. Uh, and it's, I mean, there's just great shit on it. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, yeah. So says so I bet he hates that song too. Yeah. I think Rick hates that song. Um, he's actually at, at certain concerts. He's kind of 
hinted at the fact that he's not going to play. People will say, play Jesse's girl. You get all your drunkards, you know, yeah, play Jesse's girl, man. Yeah. You know, and he's just like, no, we're not going to play that. And unfortunately, he usually does end up doing it during an encore or something like that. But fuck, I wish he wouldn't. Um, let's see. Here's another comment. You like everything rock album that gets called a classic. Yeah, not everything. I mean, you know, believe it or not, I'm not the biggest Led, Ze- Led Zeppelin fan. I'm not, like, I, I get it, but I, eh, you know, <laughs> it just doesn't, nah, you know, that, that that's how I feel about it. Um, okay, so... Yeah, it still gets played overly much on the radio, too. Yeah, Jesse's Girl really does. All right. So why don't I get into uh, some of the preloaded questions that I've got here? And again, feel free to ask questions um, in the Hangout if you want. Got a nice little crowd going on, or in the YouTube chat, I should say. Uh, Got a nice little crowd going on there. Uh, Let's see. Stallion, you have an impressive collection of memorabilia behind you in the BDSM studio, I must say. What, What do you think... Uh, to others would be the weirdest thing in there and how big is your studio anyways well thank you for just asking about how big my studio is usually that question goes another direction uh let's see so i i guess this is you know if you're listening to the audio version of this which comes out shortly after uh the live hangout is done and but i mean the video is linked to in the audio version so if you want to see the video you you can watch it as long as you have access to the audio version and you're a patron um let me see so you can't, I I've actually changed, I've added a lot in here, but you don't, it's additions that you don't really see that are meant for uh, future videos where the studio will get used more and seen more uh, and different camera angles are going to exist, but that's all stuff for the future. So like a lot of my little starships are actually in a shelf above me. Um, let's see here. I'm, I'm just going to, I'll keep talking while I'm looking around. Uh, but yeah, there's been quite a few additions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. So here, I'll actually show you two things. So, <laughs> uh, because they're actually, ironically, they're hanging in the same spot. And, and this is, this is something that people probably wouldn't expect me to have for a multitude of reasons. Of course, maybe you would expect me to have it. I don't know, but, um, okay. So here, first off, I'll show you this. This was actually a gift recently to me from, uh, from Paige from pixel. Uh, she gave this to me. And it's this weird ass, it, it, it's this like, you know, those cowboy ties, right? That they wear where they do the, you know, they tighten up. It has like a circuit board on it as, as kind of the neck noose part of it. And <laughs> I, th- I thought that was really cute. She was holding on to it for me. And she's like, oh, Brian, you got to have this. She just, she just gave me that, uh, but well, boy, was that about a month ago, maybe. Anyway, uh, this is probably the weirdest thing I've gotten here. And that is, and trust me, I'm not trying to hypnotize you here. Um, this is a necklace that sometimes I actually do wear. Um, and you might notice on there, there's the eye of Ra with, uh, with various little glyphs, uh, circling it. Okay. Now, I mean, that has nothing to do with Stargate. It's not a Stargate thing at all. Maybe that's why people wouldn't be surprised that I have it, but yeah, that's probably the weirdest thing. I think that if somebody saw me having an eye of Ra thing in here that they would, uh, or eye of Horus, depending upon who you ask, uh, maybe they'd find that kind of strange. I don't know. Um, let me let me go for one more thing. We've actually got somebody in the uh, in the hangout that we'll get to in just a second. We'll get to Daniel here. I'll pull down one other thing that that you might find kind of interesting. So this this is a real. I mean, it's not like an antique, but it's a real gladiator sword. This is quite you know, if I pull it out of its sheath, it is quite sharp. Uh, it's you know Roman design, of course. Um, and yeah, that is that is the real deal there. So. <laughs> 
I think that might also shock some people, but this thing is sharp as, and I sharpen it. It is, it is quite sharp. I'm not going to say what else I do with that, but regardless, actually, some if some people have followed me around on social media, you might have some idea of uh, why I would have a gladiator sword, but I think that that would shock some. Uh, let's just take a quick look in the YouTube chat here, see what's going on. Uh, let's see. Uh, Eye of Horus. Yeah, yeah, Gladius, right, a Gladius sword. That's the, uh, the official name of it. Um, so, anyway, you know what? I'll pull it out of the sheath here quick. You know, no, uh, no sexual innuendo there. And, <laughs> and let's see. Let's see if I can get cut live on, on live video here. This could be the end of me. But there it is. And uh, as you can see, kind of it's all it's triple black, which wouldn't you expect? Uh, would you expect nothing less from the Golden Stallion? And uh, except for where it gets sharpened, obviously, the black doesn't stick that way. But if I ran my finger on that, it'd be an instantaneous cut. This thing's pretty serious. Hopefully nobody walks into the studio because I just put it down and it might stab them if they tried walking in. So I'll have to listen for that. But uh, anyway, um, (laughs) enough of the little tour of the BDSM studio that cannot be the most exciting audio whatsoever. Um, But let's get to if we got we got Daniel. Daniel, if you had a question you want to get on the hangout, let's uh, let's do this, man. You there he is. How's it it going? Going good, going good. How are we doing, man? It's logging in with video, and I see you uh, pulling out a (laughs) huge motherfucking (laughs) sword. That's uh, (laughs) not something I see every day. But yeah, whatever whatever floats your boat. That's right. Whatever whatever punctures your dinging. I don't know whatever. (laughs) I don't know what the right. uh, analogy here is i always use the wrong analogies all yeah. the time don't worry about yeah. it yeah <laughs> so what cool. do you got man um so i heard this morning the uh the response to my question uh those who don't know asked about uh i, I asked brian what his beef is with ethereum um oh, and yeah. and uh for the record probably i should start out by saying that i'm not an ethereum fan and mm-hmm. i hold very little uh, very little, if any, of uh, any of Ethereum. So my question is not trying to uh, to to bolster it, especially not at this uh, um, bad time of of uh, of its of its life. But I, I guess my I guess the part of my question that wasn't answered um, was more along the lines of: Are you criticizing Ethereum for Ethereum, or are you criticizing Ethereum as a smart contract platform? And the, so, so the reason I ask it is because it seems like a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the stuff that you said in the past about Ethereum being, you know, you, you uh, I, I I'm pretty sure you didn't sort of coin the phrase because I think I heard it elsewhere, but but you you did give credit at, at some point I don't remember who it's due, but you it's like it's it's Turing vulnerable as opposed to Turing complete, and I think right. that was like one of the things that you you know that you harped on about for for quite a while at the beginning. Um, and obviously, right at the very beginning, we didn't know about the lack of scaling or, or the, the inability to scale because, yeah. I mean, b- proof of work blockchain, you know, was was pretty much, I mean, except for NXT or maybe PureCoin or whatever that had, you know, proof of stake, that was that was a standard. And, you know, blockchain scaling in terms of bitcoin it was just as much a problem as blockchain scaling in terms of ethereum so we didn't have the dow hack we didn't have you know scaling issues um yeah. the, the the big the big issue that i remember you you talking about was was sort of the uh the turing vulnerableness of it and granted now it's become a lot more evident a lot clearer that there is a problem with scaling that other blockchains have have you know decided to to 
either use different uh, consensus mechanism mechanisms or doing different things, layer two solutions or whatever to, to go about it in a different way. Be that as it may, I guess the part of my question that wasn't answered is, is, is there, do you, do, do you have a fundamental problem against a blockchain that is meant to be like a world computer, uh, a world virtual machine or whatever that is Turing complete and that allows you to write contracts on it? If so, why? Um, and if not, what is the alternative? And I think in my in my email it was like a question of like, well, you know, should each should sh should each blockchain use case have its own like its own blockchain with its own uh, opcodes or whatever? Like like for instance, then Horizon, whatever you know, they've got a whole platform of things that they can do. Right. You know, they're not relying on Ethereum or EOS or whatever to, to doing. But on the other hand, like if you, it's going to be hard to create your own blockchain for every little thing. Like if you wanted to put supply chain on a blockchain, or if you wanted to to put various other sort of interesting things that are going on right now in the space and enterprise space or whatever, to put it on the blockchain that really allows you to cut out the middleman, you wouldn't really be able to put that on Horizon. You wouldn't be able to put that on Bitcoin. You would have to mm -hmm. either create your own blockchain that is not your incomplete that has its own opcodes that are specific to that use case and you know set up spin up a whole new blockchain or you're using a platform like ethereum or eos or neo or cardano take your pick of whatever it is and yeah. just utilize the turing completeness of that in order to enable you know enable your application so what what what's what's your take on a turing complete smart contract platform and are your your issues with you know contract you know creating a contract out of everything that hey I don't I don't accept your blockchain so I'm not going to partake in your contract that's that's a valid you know comment but that's a valid comment for pretty much everything right that that would have a smart contract platform in it so yeah long-winded question I'll I'll let I'll let you take <laughs> over from here but I think sure. you can see where I'm coming at. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm pretty sure I got you. Um, yeah, I actually, I wish I, I should have, after I recorded that, I was like, uh, you know, I should have read the whole question like out on the air, like, cause it was a great question and I loved what you wrote up. Um, and I, so yes, the answer is yes. I have a, I have a fundamental, like, like that's, that's kind of, in fact, I'm just going to mute you here quick, Daniel. You can, yeah, sorry, uh, sorry. no, no worries. No worries. There you go. Um, you can unmute if you want to jump in, but, um, so the a statement that I would have liked to have made on episode 295 of Sovereign Tech about Ethereum as well is that I don't just have like it's not like Ethereum has tech problems. It has fundamental problems. OK, and though those fundamental problems, uh, well, you, you kind of hit on it is that, yeah, I, I mean, and again, I did not come up with the phrase of Turing vulnerable. Um, it gets credited to me a lot, actually still online, but that that was not me. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so my argument with that is that Bitcoin, like Satoshi Nakamoto, whoever, whatever that is, um, made Bitcoin, like there's a lot of features Bitcoin doesn't have, like it's not Turing complete. That's by design. That's for security. Okay. Like there's a reason for that because he could have, she could have, it could have pulled off an ethereum you know like I, I mean i don't i don't know that that that's such a long stretch of thought i don't know that vitalik came up with that brilliant of a fucking idea 
you know, to, to, to scale off or, you know, to come off of Bitcoin with the, the concept of theorem of this like world computer. Yeah. I, I have a fundamental problem with this idea of a world computer. And a lot of it comes down to mainly what, pe- I mean, a lot of it has to do with, like I said yesterday, what, with what people want to do with it. And, and it does come down to, okay, you know, how do we enforce this stuff? Um, you know, what does that enforcement look like? And that, that is a, that is a real issue. Now you bring up a great point. Okay. About, well, you, you want alternatives and I'll explain a couple of alternatives that we can do, uh, as far as that goes. Um, but like, you know, okay. So, so say we want a blockchain, like the alternative would be is that, okay, so you don't have a Turing complete system. So everybody for every use case, like supply chain or medical chain or whatever kind of blockchain you want to do for whatever purpose, you're going to have to create a separate blockchain for each of those things. If you don't have one that you can just build all of those block, if you don't have one Turing complete system effectively that you could build all of those blockchains off of. Okay. Um, I am suggesting that, yeah, that's, about what you would want to do but also understand that i am coming from it i am coming from the perspective of someone who is looking for okay what exactly would this what would the application of blockchain technology look like in a free market because the 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 releasing of the kraken that is bitcoin no no, i don't mean the kraken exchange either okay when when bitcoin you know came out there i mean with the white paper we all know this it was very libertarian you know and it was a free market answer getting put upon the world all right and that's initially what got people excited about bitcoin right and vitalik and a lot of the guys involved with ethereum are you know libertarians or anarchists of a type or at least they used to be Um, and at the time that I started to get very critical of Ethereum, it was when blockchain still felt like an anarchist technology, like literally a technology designed for anarchists and for anarchists to help bring in, usher in their kind of world. And a lot of people that were very hot about Ethereum were absolutely about that. Okay. We can use this to replace governments. We can use this to replace this, blah, blah, blah. And so it turned into with that in mind, okay, well, yeah, but if we're actually in a free market, what is this going to look like? You know, like, like how would Ethereum play ball within that system? And here's the thing is that in my, and, and I know there's people who disagree. I know there's people who have different opinions economically of what this will look like. In my opinion, in an actual free market, no governments, in an actual free market, you would end up with very small scale, you, you'd end up with thousands, if not millions of small scale economies. Okay. Um, And I've brought up this example many times that when we can look back in world history, not even just a hundred years ago, uh, when we had what you could argue would be freer markets, perhaps when American influence wasn't so strong and when there wasn't so much, so much imperialism, or at least imperialism wasn't so well managed, shall we say, uh, you did have, you didn't have one currency or you didn't have fewer currencies. You had more. So effectively when there's more freedom, there are more currencies. And that's, that's the thing is that like, a world computer, regardless if it's decentralized on a blockchain, a world computer, I don't think would be as nimble, would be as efficient, and would be as, uh, well, efficiency bakes in a lot into, into that term, but I don't think it'd be as resilient, even though I know decentralization, the argument is, is that it's automatically resilient. I don't think so. Uh, like, I, I, don't, I don't think it'd be as powerful 
as some kind of more localized, some kind of regional blockchain that addresses the main area. Now, people will say, but what about globalization? How are you going to handle that? Well, I mean, that, that's easy. You know, I mean, the digital nature of all of this makes conversion a non-issue. That doesn't lead it to being where there's only going to be one blockchain or one currency. It just means that, I mean, because that's the thing is that if we actually respected individuality, if we didn't think that everybody had to live one way, we'd realize that people are going to live in all kinds of ways and they're going to need technologies that adapt to the way that they live or the way that they interact or how they do commerce or whatever. Okay. So having one system that everything kind of runs off of, I mean, per, on a personal level, you know, at, I'll say to pull down a term, I'll say as a cypherpunk, I think that's a horrible idea. But beyond that, I think in an actual free market system, you, you would have, I mean, they're, they're just, there's no way people would just build off of one. Everybody would be trying out all these different things. And I don't think they'd want to do it off of Ethereum because eventually, again, the smart contract problem, you know, the hacks are going to happen. Um, and then also, you know, people are going to want to develop their own and they're going to know their area better than anybody else. Okay. And they're going to tailor it to work within that area. So, so again, I don't, I don't, I think a world computer is tantamount to like a world government and, you know, well, I mean, I know there's people who think that's a good idea. And actually I think a lot of Vitalik's writings, that was another concerning thing for me is Vitalik's writings were very philosophical. And not that that's a problem because Satoshi's were philosophical too, but Vitalik's philosophical writings were like Pythagoras. Like it was this very, very odd, you know, he's getting into all this philosopher King bullshit and like getting into these, yeah, the world's going to work this way. And it really, as soon as you hear that language, you know, g give me a break. Like, I, I mean, that, that that's, that's so anti, anti-freedom. So I don't, I, I guess I, oh, I, right. You wanted alternatives. Okay. So if it's not going to be that, what is it actually going to be? Um, I mean, if, if people wanted to run off of like a larger blockchain of some kind, you know, uh, I mean, I think that it's use case should be limited. Just like I think Bitcoin, should very much just be money unless, and I've recommended this in the past, I think the more interesting thing to do with Bitcoin was colored coin, but people have like, this, this gets into the argument of, so the thing is you can't really make money off of colored coin. Okay. You can make money off of side chains. You can make money off of like some other things that people want to do with Bitcoin and the way that they want to add on to it with colored coin. It's such a beautiful, simple idea but nobody's going to take their time to develop it because I think everybody sees, well, shit, you know, we can't, we can't get an investor off of this idea. Uh, I mean, there was attempts at making colored coin wallets and everything, but they never got funding. Um, there was a coin prism. There were some other ones. Um, and I know, like, I, I mean, I followed the companies and I've talked to people at them, you know, where, where they wouldn't, they, they just, nobody got on board with this idea of colored coin where, that's a very simple idea where you don't have to do a whole bunch of new code. You don't have to make a Turing complete, but you can give a blockchain a little bit of, uh, of adaptability to do new things where, you know, for example, like a, a green Satoshi or, you know, as in a unit of a Bitcoin, a green unit of a Bitcoin could represent your car uh, or, you know, it could, it could represent these different things perhaps that you own. Now that's still going to get into the enforcement problem of how do you do that? But that's one way that I would go that if you, you know, keep the blockchains very stupid and simple, kind of like the Internet, you want dumb pipes, right? Well, I think you want dumb blockchains, more or less, that, that, that are more purpose built 
uh, that way they can they can handle what's going on. But if you need some kind of adaptability within it, um, I think the concept of color coins is is a brilliant um, idea to go with. And if anything, I think that actually it wasn't long after colored coins became a thing that suddenly Ethereum becomes an idea. And I sort of wonder if the, if it was trying an attempt at like going where colored coins could have gone, but doing it in what people consider to be I don't know the way to go about it, but like this idea of, of one giant world computer. Yeah. I, 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 I can't get behind that. And I don't think that that's how things, I don't think it's the most efficient. I don't think it's the best use of the technology. I don't think it's how it would work under the world that supposedly at one point, at least Vitalik was interested in, you know, or that, and, and that some like Charles Hoskinson and some of the others uh, involved. I mean, Charles Hoskinson was, you know, really behind the Ron Paul movement and everything. I mean, you know, these, these guys were big names at, at Ethereum. Um, that that were all about that so you know i mean i had to held i have to hold them at their philosophy i know a lot of people don't do that they don't hold uh you know technologists or developers and and look at their philosophy but as i always say on sovereign tech i mean you have to look at like there's no way when you code something that your way of thinking isn't baked into that in some form or fashion uh, I mean, that just that just naturally happens um that's why you know computer courses used to used to come with you know, liberal arts packages effectively, like, like you had to go through courses in the humanities before they'd even let you program a computer. That's how things used to be. But, you know, I mean, that's not that way anymore. Um, and I, I, we might be losing something because of that, but regardless. So I don't know, does that answer that Daniel? I know you're still muted. Um, I don't know if you, yeah. you have something more. go for it. No, yeah, no, it, 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 cer- it certainly does. I, 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 I don't want to paint you in a corner. Um, sure. So, so I, I just wanted to, to hear you out all the way. Um, I, I, I think what I'm hearing you say is, is that just in general, the idea of a smart contract platform, regardless of if it's Ethereum or if it's EOS or Neo or whatever, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not a fan of that for, for the reasons that you stated. It's not. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 EOS goes, uh, sorry, Ethereum goes down and EOS replaces it. You're going to have the same, you're going to have the same critiques with EOS, even though, Maybe some of the critiques around uh, whatever scaling will, will go, but there'll be other critiques around something else. But generally speaking, it will be the smart contract element of it that, that is the sort of the nail in the coffin, if, if, that's what, yeah. if, if that's my understanding of what you're saying. Yeah, no, I think you got it. I mean, even if they could solve the speed issues like Stellar's trying to and so on, um, you're still going to run into, I think there's there's genuine ethical problems, and then you're just going to run into where... You know, again, if, if this was really if it was a real Wild West, we'd see just how quickly like that, that that it wouldn't be the best use of this technology. Like it wouldn't be the way that that most people, I think, would want to really interact with it. But um, but I mean, that, Grant, I, I grant you that's hypothetical on my part, because there's people who make an argument the other way around that that actually if, if you had a genuine free market, if you had a Wild West, there would just be one currency. You know, and that they're just be like. Oh, I actually, I, by the way, I, I really, I really don't believe that that's the case. And right. I, actually, so I, I was, I was in a blockchain meetup when I was in in Israel um, at one point, and Bancor. I don't know if if, if you know them, but they really? they're actually based out Eyal Herzog and Gali Benartia. They they they're based out of Israel, and I heard them talk. They gave they gave a talk about the long tail in 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 currencies where like the long tail is like, if, if, if you think about like the, the number of really small impact things that's statistically speaking, that's a long tail, but that's what's, what really makes or breaks, you know, um, th- th- that's what makes things go viral. It's, it's the, the really 
large number of small things and YouTube was essentially monopolizing on or, or capitalizing on the long tail of video creation as opposed to like TV channels or whatever that existed right. before that there was one one or two three channels and now there's there's like a gazillion channels so they're, they're doing the same thing trying to sort of um, you know create liquidity in in multiple currencies basically saying it doesn't make sense that you'd have you know, for the same reason that it doesn't make sense that you'd have one currency for the entire European economic uh, zone or the EU, it doesn't make sense that you'd have an entire currency for, for, for the world, like one currency for the entire world. And the right. same thing goes with, you know, with, with everything else. But the problem is that when you have so many currencies, you don't have the liquidity. So the technological problem to, to fix is not creating one world currency, the technological problem to fix is how do you create liquidity that will allow small currencies that are very thinly traded to actually be traded uh, simply and, and uh, you know, effortlessly. So, so that's, that's something that's interesting, not something that we have time for today. But uh, I 100% I agree that w with your statement, I don't think in the Wild West there will be one currency. I think in the Wild West there will be um, you know, a, a way to solve for frictionless currencies. And if the technological right. advances are not there, then you will have one currency to make it frictionless. But if you technological advance is there, then you will have a gazillion currencies and it will be done frictionlessly. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I have to run. Um, you, you don't have to answer this, but uh, two second question. What would your life um, look like if you realized that Craig Wright was Satoshi? <laughs> <laughs> I know you mentioned it, but I was like, okay, I got to ask. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Daniel. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll hear the answer to that uh, on the audio. If, sure. if you do. Okay. Take it yeah, easy. Bye -bye. All right. Bye. Uh, wow. Yeah. So, so Craig, Wright. <laughs> What would my life look like? Um, I would be wrong. Cause I've, I have, uh, ardently like said that he is not, uh, Satoshi at all. Um, and you know, I know everybody wants to ask, well, then who do you think, uh, is Satoshi? Um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily going to go down that rabbit hole, but if he, if he was, uh, oh boy, I, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how to answer that. It's like, well, because like, isn't he a big supporter of Bitcoin cash? That'd be so depressing because he's the, he's the idiot that, or boy, should I say that? Well, anyway, I'll say it. He's the guy that said, you know, that, that effectively the banking system, the present, you know, banking system that we have, that that's, that's decentralized enough. Um, which is another thing that leads me to think he's not Satoshi at all, because like, no, like, you know, Satoshi was arguing for, or at least as, as I understand, it was arguing for extreme decentralization. Um, and he's talking about on the order of that. Well, you know, if Bitcoin cash only has some odd 20,000 nodes, that, that that's fine. Cause it works for the banking system. Look, the banking system doesn't work. You know, <laughs> how long do we have to wait for so much fucking money to get transferred and all this crap? I mean, it's nonsense. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd be, I'd be very worried if, uh, if he were uh, Satoshi. So, um, all right, <laughs> let's see. What do we got in the, um, what do we got in the, in the YouTube chat here? Uh, do you, or let's see, I think Vitalik may be buying into his own hype. Um, yeah, it feels like it, you know, because he thinks he's got an opinion about everything. Um, and I, I have no evidence to suggest why his opinion should mean anything more than, you know, anyone else on Twitter, quite frankly. Um, other than it, with blockchain, like maybe specifically, but he seems to be answering shit about everything. Um, 
let's see. Uh, here's another one. You don't. Oh, uh, okay. D do you approve of Google Titan key? Yeah. So um, I've, I, I have ordered one of these, uh, but they are like on a backlog for whatever fucking reason. I think everybody got all it's hot and bothered and excited and thought that Google was doing something special. Turns out they're really not doing anything special at all. These are very, these are pretty much the same exact technology uh, that YubiKey and other companies are putting out there. There's nothing really unique with this at all, other than it may have like, it'll have a, you know, maybe a more unique key structure. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but that allows it to be recognized. Now I, I, when we, when I got first got asked about Google Titan key, I said, this is probably for the, um, the Android or the Google, it's actually Google. It's for your entire Google account, not just Android, but the advanced protection program, um, that they have. Now, I've looked into this, and I've actually been tempted just to add in for the Dark Android book to try out, like, being a part of the uh, Android or of the Advanced Protection Program. And it is true that Google Titan Key, like, will absolutely work with the Advanced Protection Program from Google. And what this is, I, we talked about it years ago when it was first announced. Um, the Advanced Protection Program is where like your Google account gets really locked down. Like if you're a celebrity politician, activist, something like that, um, you, you know, you might want to have your account really secure. Now here's the, and, and one of the ways that they do this is you have to have two extra factors of authentication. Okay. So you're going to, so like Google Titan key would met, would meet that because you'd have your authenticator and then you'd also, you know, your, your soft, like your, your OTP authentication in your app. And then you would have the authentication of the of the physical usb key that the, like the google titan key okay um and the irony is is that they when you read about the advanced protection program they're telling you well you know the fact that you're using your google account to log into other things this is a potential exploit and so you won't be able to do that anymore they go down this whole list of things that you're not going to be able to do once you're enrolled in the advanced protection program and the irony is is that like these are all arguments for why I've said don't use your Google account for such and such and don't do this with an account, any account, let alone Google. Uh, I mean, they're admitting that these are potential exploits, all these things that they're telling you to do, like outside of the advanced protection program. It's, it's fucking hilarious. I wanted to actually talk about it during the Larry Page uh, segment of episode 295 because you know he's like, well, I, I got to respect my privacy. I got to take care of my privacy. But no, no, you can't. And just like, you know, okay, you want to be part of, you want actual security, like the advanced protection program. Well, then you need to do all the things that, you know, normally Google is suggesting that you do with your Google account. It, <laughs> I mean, the cognitive dissonance, I mean, they know what they're doing, right? Like they, they absolutely know what they're doing because they know that if they actually offered you genuine security, like the Google advanced protection program leans towards. Okay. They know if they actually offered that to you, they wouldn't make any money. Okay. Like they, they, if everybody did that, they would, they'd lose a lot of uh, the data collection that they go through, you know, and they, they'd be hurting, but they make it, you know, they put it out there effectively because I, they're trying, I mean, why did they do the advanced protection program? If it's so antithetical to their business model, because they still want to get, they still want to serve these high profile individuals and take them away from, you know, normally those high profile individuals will use Apple or historically they would use Blackberry or something. They want that customer base. Okay. They want that money. 
coming in because, you know, they got to buy the products, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's hilarious. Everybody should be doing exactly what Google recommends on how to secure your fucking Google account. But if they did that, Google wouldn't have ads and all this other shit. They wouldn't have all this tracking data about you. And it's just, it, it's so ironic. It's just fucking ironic about that. So uh, the Google Titan key, fine and dandy thing. In fact, it, the only thing special about it uh, is that it comes with two keys, which is what I've always told people. Because everybody, the instant I say use a YubiKey, they say, well, what if I lose it? You buy two. Okay. And so the Google Titan key of all ironies happens to cost, uh, you know, 50 bucks, right? Which is the cost of two YubiKeys. And so more or less. And so, you know, they, they're solving their own problem. They know if you lose it, well, okay, you've got the second one. And, and like they, they, they get it. Uh, the Bluetooth nature of the Google Titan key, somebody might have kind of concerns around that, but Bluetooth, the way that this is being used, um, I don't think it's so much of a concern. Uh, I mean, and, and I kind of like Bluetooth more than NFC because that gives it a lot more options as far as adaptability goes. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't necessarily have a concern around that. Uh, let's move on to another question here. Uh, let's see. Um, you don't, or you never got into anime. Um, I, I love anime, but <laughs> like, like I, I love, 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 love anime. Uh, watch it all the time. Uh, I think Robotech is the most romantic television series ever made. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll say that in a heartbeat. Uh, I could have a huge conversation around anime. Maybe that's something if you want, you can ask for, uh, for like a Wednesday Q and a, cause that would take me a little while to talk about. Um, but I mean, you know, record of Lotus war. Uh, I mean, I like a lot more of the classics than the new stuff frankly, uh, just because the classics are so fucking epic. You know, they're so huge. Um, I love hentai. I'm a huge fan of hentai. I espouse the watching of hentai to anyone. Um, I think it's perfectly, perfectly healthy and wonderful thing. Um, so yeah, I'm totally on board with anime. Uh, let's go on to something else. Let's see. Uh, you don't support, you don't support any private police, but do you support a private court system? That is a big, 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 big question um, about a private court system. Um, I support communities setting up. I mean, effectively, you know, you could set up like a homeowners association if you want. Okay. You can have something that looks like a court system where a court system starts to not look like freedom, starts to not look like actual anarchism is that. If you can't walk away from like, say, so, so this is just one possibility. This is, like I said, this is a massive conversation. It's a great question, but it's a massive conversation really, uh, really to have. We got somebody in the hangouts and, and I'll, we'll get to that in just a second. Um, you, you would have to have an agreement, right? You would all have to agree. Okay. We are going to abide by such and such rules. Okay. Maybe not laws, but rules. Um, you are accurate that I am, I'm not a supporter of private police. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, you'd, you'd have these certain rules and everything that you'd have to set up. Okay. And that you'd all have to agree to. The problem with that is, is that for you to like, you should have the same freedom that you had to voluntarily agree to those rules. You should continue to have the same voluntary freedom to no longer abide by those rules. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that doesn't come with some kind of consequences. It can. Okay. Or I mean, and, and those consequences can be something outside of you, but I don't think that when you, if you leave that system of rules that you agree to like a private court of some kind, I don't think that there should be a penalty where like, as an example, you know, there shouldn't be a penalty when you want to leave because that's not freedom. If you can't walk away from it, 
How are you in anarchy? How are you in freedom? Okay. And the reason I say what I mean by like, there could be, you know, there can be consequences, meaning that, okay, you know, you don't, maybe you don't get to interact with this person or something, or they choose to not interact with you because you're not part of their little rule system anymore. What I mean by this is, is that, for example, if you want to stop being a citizen of the United States, by law, you have to pay out such and so much money to do that. Okay, you have to pay out something that you earned yourself, okay, that you did the blood, sweat, and tears for. All right, now I think that that's ridiculous. And that's the thing is that within a private court system, I guess I could accept it, but if you have to give up something of your blood, sweat, and tears to be able to leave that system, uh, no, then I don't agree with the private court system. And in a lot of what people talk about, like these dispute resolution organizations or whatever, all come with those kinds of consequences. And I think that's, that's inherently anti-freedom. Uh, because again, if you, have, if you can voluntarily agree to it, you should be able to voluntarily leave as well. And this is where we get into Max Stirner's concept of the union of egoists, which I recommend people read up on. Even people that don't like egoism and don't like Max Stirner, they read about the union of egoists and they go, oh, now that's a way to put people together. Like that's a way for humanity as a social species to interact. Uh, and, um, I mean, like, uh, Michelle Onfray, who is not an egoist, he's a hedonist, but he's not, I mean, he's, he's an anarchist too, but I mean, he's not, he's not an egoist, um, but he loves the, the union of egoists. And that kind of talks about that is that, look, you know, the people, you gotta be able to walk away from this shit without penalty of, you know, like a real penalty against you so much. Okay. Uh, so I hope that, I hope that makes sense. Um, that's a, that's a huge conversation. If you want to write out some kind of rebuttal and have me go over, I am happy to do that. Um, and I'll, I'll, you know, understand, like if you write into me, generally, if someone writes into me, um, I, you know, if I get hot and bothered, like if I start yelling and everything, I'm not yelling at you. Okay. I'm, I'm yelling at like kind of the, the ethereal ass hattery that exists on planet earth, unfortunately. And then there, there, there really is, you know, in fact, uh, actually there's, I was listening to one of my favorite BG songs and I don't know how I never, never got this lyric. Um, but it just hit me. And, uh, the the song is how deep is your love, but there's a point in it where, where they're saying, um, you know, I'm going to look it up really fast, but it's like, we're living in a world of fools breaking us down, uh, when they all should just let us be. And I'm like, how did I never hear that? That's such a beautiful thing to say. And so weird to hear in such a beautiful love song too. You know, that, that effectively Barry Gibbs calling everybody an idiot. And I'm like, well, that's true. <laughs> you know, I mean, and shit, if the Bee Gees say it, you know, if the Bee Gees, the most cheesy, loving people on the planet Earth, if they say that the world's full of fools, man, if that's not the fucking truth. So anyway, uh, let's uh, let, why don't we go? To, I think Jacob was in first. We actually got Jacob and Rob uh, in the um, in the hangout. But let, let's go to Jacob first. And uh, well, maybe Rob wants to jump in, uh, you know, in between on it on the conversation. But Jacob, man, how are we doing? Not bad yourself. Doing pretty good. Whew, busy as hell, but doing good. <laughs> I, I your uh, shirt is uh, stating two of your major interests. Yeah, yeah, gaming and history. Yeah, this is the gaming historian T-shirt. I bought as soon as I I love that guy on YouTube, uh, Norman Caruso. Uh, just a brilliant. If people ever want to have like just amazing time watching some YouTube videos. That's he's where it's at. But anyway, uh, right on. Go for it, Jacob. Yeah, so uh, you know, a while back you coined the whole uh, Amazon dominate or world domination tour phrase, yeah. and uh, um, you know, before a lot of people were uh, really noticing that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, recently, I've been reading the uh, uh, the Everything Store, which was the history oh, yeah. of 
uh, Amazon and, and, you know, biography of Jeff Bezos. Right. Um, and, and, you know, got me to thinking, uh, you know, since, you know, Amazon was kind of, you know, it's been there for a while and it's taken a long time to get to where it is, but, uh, Bezos has seemed to have had these plans from the very beginning. And, uh, you've mentioned that, uh, you know, you have, you you have some, uh, ideas of what he his ultimate goals may be in you mm-hmm. know years down the line and uh you know he's got this blue origin uh uh you know the space company right um you know they're not as flashy as spacex but i, I was wondering you know you think maybe you know they're uh you know he's taking a long time to build up amazon maybe you know he's keeping a lot of things under wraps at blue origin uh, that could be, uh, you know, blowing away uh, what SpaceX has eventually. Um, you know, he doesn't have the same type of, uh, he doesn't seem to be as much of a media whore as uh, Elon Musk. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm just, ba- I'm, I'm just wondering, could we be looking at the Jeff Bezos interplanetary domination tour anytime soon? <laughs> So interesting thing. Um, yeah. Uh, now blue origins actually been around for a little while and Bezos's part in it was not just like recent. It's only recently that Bezos has even like really done many public appearances. Okay. Which some might want to start attributing to nefariousness and maybe, um, but blue origin had been around for a good long while. I actually know one of the guys that was one of the, one of the initial, uh, uh, actual engineers uh there his name's scott i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go in much further than that but anyway uh he like his bezos's part in it was was really really minimized and you pretty much had to be an investor to know about it and blue origin at the time like the designs that they had and the plans that they had in mind are pretty were pretty far out stuff so but it's been a really quiet company definitely like you said not as flashy as spacex but again blue origin's been around for a really long time just people didn't know about it until like yeah. kind of Bezos's attachment to it, and when Bezos really started hunting down a lot of these like uh, Apollo capsules and all these things that were just you know floating in the ocean, um, that's when he started to get some kind of press around it. Um, I could, yeah, I can definitely see. I Bezos knows where it's at, you know, and and I, well, here's the thing. Like like I've said, I genuinely believe that Bezos wants like a Star Trek future. He's not the only tech giant or, you know, the CEO tech giant that's that's wanted that. Uh, Steve Jobs was blatant about it. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I can definitely see where where he he's looking to the stars um, and he's trying. He's doing some very clever marketing right now where he's saying that by going to the stars, we're protecting the earth. And there's some truth to that, certainly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't What more do you have on that on that, Jacob? Oh, not much. I mean, like you said, uh, you know, in the in the book, like it's it, they 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 mentioned like how early it actually did start, mm-hmm. and you know, for for several years there was you couldn't find any information on it. So you know, he's keeping a lot of things under wraps, and it yeah. just just got me wondering what he's you know they're they're more public now, but what is he still keeping under wraps? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the best thing you can say, and part of you know. Cause I've actually had people ask me like, wow, you know, you really did call this with Amazon. Like, how'd you know? And, and, and so on. Um, and part of the way I knew was that, so one of the earliest pictures you can find of Jeff Bezos and also people don't know, he'd, he'd kind of pull these stunts at, at, uh, investor meetings as well. But one of the earliest pictures you can find of him from like back in like 96 or 97, 
he's holding a book by Alfred Bester. Um, I don't, rec- I think he's holding destination or the stars, my destination, or is that destination void? What, whatever. Uh, I don't think he's holding the demolished man. Um, but yeah, I think it's the stars, my destination that he's holding. And I mean, he is no joke. He is a hardcore sci-fi fan. In fact, I think he like, I, I bet he could give me a run for my money on, on trivia as far as sci-fi goes. Um, and I, there seems to be a thing with a, when people get really deep into science fiction and, and this is true when you listen to science fiction authors and, and so on, when people are really into it, even George Lucas, um, they, they have a lot of ideas about how the world should work and they have, and like, and there's almost a drive for the world to somehow become something, you know, uh, uh, that that's, that's very futuristic or whatever like that. And so the idea that Bezos had world designs, for me, a major part of that was knowing just how hardcore of a science fiction fan he was. I mean, science fiction turns you, it, it, really, it turns people into activists, whether they realize it or not. Um, I mentioned a lot with Star Trek. Star Trek is wildly subversive, wildly subversive. And if, and if parents knew, if your parents knew just how subversive Star Trek was, they never would have let you put it on the television screen. Um, I, I mean, conservatism, I like to think that I'm doing something about conservatism. No, Star Trek is wiping the floor with conservatism and it's been doing it for 40 years. Uh, and people don't know. They don't realize it, you know, because it's oh, it's just fun entertainment or whatever. But those ideas, they seep in. And, you know, when you got those classic voices like Shatner and Stewart, you can't, you know, it, it stays with you. So, yeah, science fiction, you know, really is is such a powerful thing. Um, and, and that... Yeah, I, I think I think definitely Bezos is looking at a very science fiction future and as wild as as he can go um, with it. So that that's that's what I got on that. But uh, anything else, Jacob? Otherwise, we'll go to Rob. No, no, that's it. Just wanted to you know uh, mention that a little bit. Uh, yeah. So I'll just uh, hop off here. So sure thing, man. Yeah, thanks, Robin. How we doing, man? Good. How are you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. <laughs> I was just listening to uh, uh, the novel that for the movie, the novel that never needed to be written for the movie that never needed to be made. <laughs> oh man, you're taking one for the team there. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening to Solo Star Wars Story Expanded Edition. Holy I shit! I don't think I can do it, man. I don't think I can do it. <laughs> well, I'll I'll do the review for you then. Okay. Uh, Anyway, uh, so for the, for the new patrons that don't know, uh, Robin, of course, does the Star Wars update with me for patrons only. We get a real treat by and the two of us just have the, some of the most fun we have in a month uh, every time we do it. So in the September one is coming and it's going to be hot. Uh, but uh, what do you got, Rob? Um, you know, we, we talk about, uh, you know, ancient history stuff. And sure. uh, I've had um, Magicians of the Gods on my back burner for a while now. I just recently started getting into yeah, that's the latest one from a couple of years ago, I think. Yep. And um and and you know, I'd kind of like I'd I'd fallen out of, you know, the the alternative or fringe history stuff for a while, but I'm starting to really get back into it now. Mm-hmm. And um one of the things that that came up recently I had no idea about is, is um you know, I'd for a long time always accepted kind of like the mainstream narrative about Atlantis being more of an allegory. Ah, yeah, sure. Um, and then I discovered this, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the, the Rachat structure out in West Africa. No, it's not ringing a bell for me. Go for yeah, it. Yeah. You want to, you might want to look that up on Google maps or just on, on image on, uh, you know, uh, duck, duck, go the images or whatnot. Sure. Um, there's also a, uh, a documentary called visiting Atlantis and you can find it on YouTube. Um, okay. it really makes a compelling case for, 
this geological formation and it really lines up with the description that Plato gave in uh, the Cateus and the Timaeus. Hmm. Okay. All right. No, I'm definitely going to look into it. I, I mean, I like Atlantis is a massive passion of mine. Uh, so yeah, me too. That, I like, I, specifically. I, I, I'd kind of fallen out of it for a while and, mm-hmm. and it, I always thought, you know, the, the stories are interesting, but like, it's just that, you know, we've, we've, there's been so many different theories and they all kind of seem to fall short. Right. And this to me, like after watching this documentary and looking at the, the, the images, the satellite images, because like we didn't even know about this structure until uh, the advent of space flight. And right. actually it's astronauts that use uh, and it's kind of referred, it's referred to as the eye of the Sahara and astronauts okay. actually use it for, you know, finding position, uh, you know, while they're up in, in space on Earth. So this is specifically in Africa, this, this area yes. you're talking about. Yes. Okay. It's on the West coast of Africa. Okay. And if you I, actually, and if you, and if you look at, you know, just sort of some of the geological features around it, it definitely does seem at one point that there was massive flooding on the West coast of Africa. Yeah. You know, I mean, here, here's the thing. Like we have so many historical documents that point at a lot of things especially in Northern Africa that are just gone, but would appear to have been there. Like, like they were there, like there's the second Sphinx, which I think absolutely is somewhere there. Um, I mean, you got a lot of sand covering a lot of shit, you know, and, and it's right. Well, I mean, even, even the stories of Atlantis, I mean, Plato says that he got it from his ancestor, Solon, who got it when he went to Egypt Right. And he got this information from Egyptian temple and that's now sunken into the Nile Delta. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So a couple things on that. Uh, one is actually, I'm going to recommend a book um, to people and that it's one I, I just recently finished. I actually, I mentioned it in last month's sovereign tech newsletter for August uh, and it's called the stolen legacy by George GM James. And this guy makes a, I mean, it's just, it's a short book. But it is a scathing, scathing assault on the idea that, like, all of our philosophy and democracy, like, all these different ideas that we uh, attribute to the Greeks actually came from the Egyptians. And, in fact, he brings up the point that, like, Aristotle and a lot of even Plato and a lot of these other, which Plato would at least, you know, admit it that he got some shit from from Egypt. Um, but that a lot of these people are even Socrates, they're all quoting Egyptian authors. They're not, they couldn't. And and he brings up like the point where like Aristotle is talking about chariots. The Greeks didn't have chariots at the time. Like, you know, he, there's no doubt he was talking, he he was just copying, you know, taking notes from like Egyptian works at Alexandria or something. Uh, and it's, it's a really, really amazing, uh, read as far as that goes, that a lot of this stuff, you know, is, is a lot of what we consider to be like Greek lore, or, I mean, Greek mythology, we kind of accepted sort of morphed away from, you know, from the Egyptian pantheon, for, you know, from the from Egyptian mythology and so on. But uh, but that a lot of these things absolutely, you know, do do come from uh, are, are from originally from ancient ancient Egypt. I mean, yeah. and, and the book is getting into a point, a, lar- a broader point saying that, uh, well, it gets into racism, frankly, and it's saying that, you know, people are saying nothing good has ever come out of Africa. And their point is, is that no, all of civilization, all of philosophy, everything that you think is attributed to the Greeks or something like that. No, it all came from, it all came from Africa. Well, I think even, even the ancient Greeks had a saying that all knowledge comes from Egypt. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, and yeah, like beyond even what this book gets into, like, 
Roman, you know, Rome, even the Roman empire considered Egypt to be like, it was this, they saw it as a holy land. Right. It was this, it was this like really holy prefect. Like they, they kind of considered it their really like their, their ideological backyard. Um, and, and there's, there's a lot to, to get into around that. Um, but anyway, that, that's an interesting book, but that's, I'm, I am going to check out that documentary and I might do a full on review of it. Um, Yeah. It's, it's not real long one. And, um, you know, they, they made a trip out there, but they weren't actually, it was just two people and they weren't able to do a whole lot of investigation just because it seemed like sort of a limited budget sort of thing. But right. uh, there hasn't been any serious investigation of this as either a, a, a historical site, an archaeological site, or as a geological, you know, formation. Because the the, the theory is, is that uh, the structure was formed by basically just a large um, like magma bubble. Okay. And that was eventually eroded. Uh, mm-hmm. But the theory is, is that, you know, that, I mean, it kind of makes sense with the, uh, you know, the descriptions of Atlantis. It's just as likely that, you know, people would find a, a, a natural structure like this and decide to build upon it. And that actually makes more sense to me than trying to build something as elaborate as what is described by Plato. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. That's, yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm definitely going to check this out. Uh, I mean, the other thing, you know, that, that, that people miss is that like with the Mediterranean, you know, the Mediterranean didn't look like it did not, not, it wasn't that long ago. Uh, there's literally hundreds of cities, you know, in the Mediterranean, um, that I, I mean, that, that point alone has kind of always made me wonder about Atlantis is like, we, mm-hmm. there's whole cultures that we've just never known. Yeah. Well, I mean, most, most of the world didn't look like it did, you know, 12,000 years ago right. after the, uh, the young Adrias. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, well, I, I'm glad that this is, you know, that the, the, shall we say the hunt for Atlantis has, uh, has continued. Um, because yeah, it, it's, I mean, you get too many stories, I grant you, like, not, not most of them don't call it Atlantis. You know, that's, that's a Plato thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get too many stories of that there was this something. There was this, this Civilization X, uh, you know, that, that existed at one point. Um, but what the hell happened to it, you know? Or, and, or if and, not, that, that there was a huge uh, uh, flood-like catastrophe. Yes. That is described by many cultures throughout the world. It's not just in the Bible. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and, and shit, all, all the, <laughs> and it's all at the same time in right. history. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Oh man. I, I could start waxing poetical pretty quick about all of this <laughs> uh, because well, let me stop you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I mean, there's just right. There's too much evidence and, and, and we run too quickly to just saying that our ancestors were just making up stories um, when that, which is funny because we're attributing like a level of imagination to them that we won't attribute to, a level of knowledge to that would require for the same amount for them to have that amount of imagination to come up with all that shit. They would have to have a certain level of knowledge that at the same time, those same people that say that would say that, uh, that they are just imagining it all that they couldn't have had, but if they have that level of knowledge to allow for that level of imagination, um, no, they, they could, all these things that they're talking about could have absolutely been something that they literally saw of some kind or not literally saw, but that they saw and they talked about it in a certain way. Right. Um, well, and the thing is, yeah. is there's, there's so much new evidence that's come up just within the last, you know, decade or two mm-hmm. and that, you know, the, the historians and archaeologists are just 
not willing to look at or take seriously, uh, especially like Gobegli Tepe. And, uh, you know, this is this, you know, and they're saying that hunter gatherers did this. I mean, that's just, it's ridiculous. And, and, and my hope is, is kind of like with a lot of these sort of, uh, you know, social movements we've been having recently that eventually this hits academia and just Mm -hmm. people get tired of, you know, the, the old fuddy duddies, white men telling us what history is and saying, no, you need to, you know, let's, you need to start stop disregarding this shit because of your, you know, you're either trying to protect your privilege or you're trying to, you know, enforce, you know, the, the, the greatness of, you know, Western culture and, and white people. Yeah. I mean, and this happens, in fact, that, that book I was mentioning that I mentioned earlier, Stolen Legacy, is all about this and how, like, that's all, I mean, and I, I've brought the cases up many times where there is totally a bias and yes, they are trying to protect their culture. They're trying, you know, like, like archaeologists and so on. They're trying, they're not trying to reveal that or like let the truth of history come out. They are trying to protect their narrative. Um, well, the, the, and they're also trying to protect their own self-interest because they've, yeah. you know, they've spent all of this time investing into it and in teaching it to other people right. that it, it massively disrupts, you know, their, their, whatever you know money that they do make from it 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 threatens that they feel i'm sure yeah and i and i and i just looked up that book stolen legacy if anybody's looking for it you can find it on library genesis oh nice excellent perfect yeah um totally worthwhile checking out um yeah no i i agree completely i mean and this is a problem across the sciences and it's an ugly thing we don't want to face right because we want to be like that there is a subjective thing i mean and and history is a particularly tough science because it's really not a science like you really as as painful as it is for me to even say it unless you were there you don't know i mean and and this is a popular idea now that people have that really history didn't start until you know we were able to record shit on video and i would argue that actually even that history is now pretty much gone now that you can edit video to have whatever the hell you want in it right uh, so so history is is not a sci- not really a, i mean it is and it isn't you know yeah and, but i mean you just you 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 take in the you know like the brief time that the human beings have been on this planet yeah which you know they say that homo sapiens arrived you know somewhere around 200 300,000 years ago yeah and then you have if you want to be more specific you have anatomically you know, modern humans are about 50,000 years ago. Right. Are, are you seriously telling me that it basically uh, took us, you know, uh, more than 45,000 years to get our shit together and do something with all the innate curiosity of the human creature? Right. No, I mean, that narrative is getting, getting blown out because uh, actually just this past week, I think it was, they found in that South African cave, um, they found it's 73,000 years old and it's like these nine red lines drawn inside this cave. And, you know, they're, they're saying, it. look, this is, this is language, you know, that, that this, this is, this means something like this isn't just some, yeah. it, it's, it's an abstract. So it's yeah. symbolic. Um, so maybe it's just a symbol or maybe it's some kind of language, but it's not like, it's not a drawing of some gazelle, you know, this is, this is, some, this is something that, that had meaning. 73,000 years ago. And that's, you know, that's kicking back a good 
you know, 30, 40,000 years from the previous earliest writings. Right, right. Symbology, the symbolism that we had for, for humans or from yeah, I think, Homo sapiens. Yeah. I, I do really think it's it's long past time that, that academia kind of, you know, accepted the possibility that at some point the slate was wiped clean for yeah. the most part. And yeah. that, you know, uh, the, 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 the lack of preponderance of evidence doesn't mean you need to dismiss the, what little evidence that there is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, and it's good. You know, we, we covered it. There was an episode a little while back, Stephanie and, and Ellen were on where we talked about like th- this academic paper that came out and said, look, you know, if the dinosaurs built a civilization, we'd have no idea. We can't know. Oh yeah. You know, like, like it totally would have been wiped clean by, you know, by just the passage of time. Um, and that can happen and people don't want to, but I mean, you know, the part of the problem is, is people's concept of history is, is like, their, their concept of time of how long ago it was and so on is, is really, really off base. Um, that's, I, that's why I'm such a huge fan. In fact, you can see it behind me, the, the, the Holocene calendar, where instead of it being the year, uh, 2018, it's actually the year 12,018. Um, you know, that way you can have a better understanding of how much time is actually passed for a lot of this stuff. And you can realize then either that, wow, it actually hasn't been that long or holy shit, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, for example, lot, I mean, go ahead. Yeah. A lot of thing people don't have any goddamn context for is like what uh, ecologically peaceful era we've been living through, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that the the amount of devastation that has been racked upon the earth time after time after time. Right. And people are worried about global warming, and I'm not saying that's not a concern, but even the worst predictions are far tamer than some of the things that human beings have already lived through. Yeah, well, and and that's a problem for and and that's a problem that scientists created uh, really over the centuries. In fact, Graham Hancock will talk about that, um, where like the idea of cataclysmic events, other than like Noah's flood, maybe, and even then when science started getting separating itself away from religion, um, one of the first things that they one of the kind of science's first tenets was. I mean, and I, I appreciate them separating from religion, but one of their first tenets pretty much was is that, okay, cataclysmic events don't happen. Like the flood did not. Right. Yeah, it, was, it was like an overcompensation for. Right. Exactly. You know, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so that's and not here again. And it, it's, it is kind of a, a Western right hubris in that, you know, the only tale of a flood that they pay attention to is the one in the Bible. Right. Not the many others throughout various cultures all over the planet. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, even the, oh boy, I, I could go on. <laughs> I think we got to wrap it up. But, right. uh, but, yeah, but it's a, it's an awesome subject to get into and I'm definitely going to, I'm going to watch that documentary and, and get more on it. Um, I mean, you know, p- one thing for people to understand is that a very, is, even with the Bible itself, let's say we we're just running off of the Bible because I think there's some genuine history in there. Uh, certainly with Torah, you know, with the Old Testament um, or the Hebrew Bible, which I think is a ridiculous thing to say. No one should, let, let me give the Sovereign Tech listeners, I want you to go forward with, with learning this. Never, ever call it the Hebrew Bible because that is an insult. It's just an absolute insult. It's the Bible. Of course it's fucking Hebrew. Okay. <laughs> like, there's no need. You do not need to qualify it by saying the Hebrew Bible. No, it's the Bible. It's Hebrew. Okay, deal with it. So anyway, but, but an old rabbinic saying is that there's 70 faces to Torah. And what that means is, is that, I mean, it's not a literal number of 70. 70 just has a, a very specific meaning. But it's meaning that there's a lot of different interpretations to that book. 
And that's 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 what that whole statement means. The 70 faces of Torah that there's a lot of different ways to interpret it. And so even if one wanted to run with the Bible and run with that in, in Western civilization, well, you've got 70 different ways to look at that fucker. And, you know, we're not doing it. No one's doing any of that, or at least not enough people are. So anyway, um, yeah, Atlantis, this is a mystery. We're going to look into it. We're going to figure this stuff out. Rob, I appreciate it, man. I, l- I always love having you on at any stage. And, uh, and that, that's a fascinating subject to bring up. Um, so anyway, thanks a lot for that, man. No problem, man. Talk to you later. Yeah. We'll see you on the star Wars update. Woo. Uh, all right. So let me, let me see what I got in the YouTube chat quick and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Cause we only go, we usually only go about an hour. Sometimes I'll let it run a little bit over. Um, somebody says best star Wars podcast ever in reference to the star Wars update. Thank you very much. I, I do enjoy the hell out of, out of doing it. Um, let's see. Would you like to see Atari make a comeback? Um, not in the form of the, whatever the Atari VCS or whatever the fuck that thing is that they're coming out with. Uh, I'd like to see Atari be like Atari again, but to do so with full, really, I'll, I'll use this phrase with tongue in cheek. I want them to come back, but embrace kind of like the Intellivision, the return because Intellivision's coming back. Um, they need to embrace it that way where they need to say, okay, no, you know, we're this retro system and we're this kind of graphics and we're going to make just the best fucking games that you can make with, you know, whatever four bit graphics or whatever the hell it is. Um, I would love to see Atari come back in that way, but every way that Atari has been coming back over the past few years, uh, no, I mean, they're, they're completely missing what makes it, what made Atari great, uh, including they should pay attention to a lot of these statements from Nolan Bushnell, who, uh, you know, who, who founded Atari, uh, where, you know, he says, yeah, the whole violence and video games thing, we don't do that at Atari like that, that, that would be pretty awesome to have a company like that. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Uh, KRS one, of course, for those that don't know, KRS one is the, uh, hip hop artist. I guess that's the best term I'll use. Uh, KRS one used to state in his lyrics that Egyptians taught the Greeks. Yeah, I think he's absolutely right. Um, and something to pay attention to is that the, the term that the Greeks used for the Egyptians meant black people, you know, got to think about that. I mean, and I know you're going to say like, well, what about Cleopatra and all that? Well, Cleopatra was effectively Greek. I mean, like Cleopatra, you know, these later dynasties in, in Egypt that were closer to, again, when it was kind of the, the, uh, the back, the backyard of Rome, um, you know, that, that, that wasn't, those weren't like the necessarily, uh, or at least they weren't completely the same, you know, bloodlines of, of the Egyptians, you know, like the, the, the middle kingdom and even more of the new kingdom. Um, let's see. So let's, there is another book that asserts capitalism originated from the middle East. Yeah. I think there's a lot of evidence for that. Um, you look at the, uh, actually if, the, um, Kazakhstan, the, you know, the, the Kazakhs, uh, they, the argument goes very strong that they were, um, really some of the very first capitalists ever, or at least the, the first people that were espousing free markets. Um, and you know, then there's, there's kind of a Jewish attachment with that, but that gets into that, that can get into some odd conspiracy theories around that one. But yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the Kazakhs are, you, you know, the people of Kazakhstan historically, they've, they've had a couple empires, uh, that they, they were totally about free markets and so on. Uh, and they had the right geography to make it happen uh, just like the kingdom of israel had perfect geography for trade it's part of the reason that it thrived um anyway let's see uh, what do you think of paul fire fairbrand's anarchist approach to the scientific method i will have to look into that and get back to you 
Um, anyway, and then, then just wants to have a good one. Everybody got to go. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this up. That's it. Uh, thank you so much for all of the questions. Great to have everybody. We got three participants, uh, to come right into the hangout room. That was a real honor. Uh, thank you for doing that. I just, you know, I want to say, I'm just, we're wrapping it up now. I just want to say to all of the patrons, you know, there's like a hundred of you now. Exactly. Um, I love you. Like, thank you so much. I know I've said this before and I say it every once in a while on Patreon shows or even on a Sovereign Tech Prime episode, but thank you. You really do make the show go round and round. Um, you are an absolute, well, to quote a song, you are the wind beneath my wings. <laughs> I mean, and you really are uh, because, you know, Sovereign Tech is, you know, the, the new book that, that I released, Sovereign Universe Volume 1. I mean, the Sovereign Universe means a very specific thing, a very fictional aspect of the show, but really, like, uh, you know, I've heard from a lot of you. A lot of you have sent me some very kind messages and some have sent not so kind messages, but a lot of you have sent very kind messages. And yeah, this is a very, this, the sovereign universe is a thing. Like this is a universe, you know, all the things that we do um, on the show is very much a, you know, yeah, it feels like its own little fantasy world, its own little universe, doesn't it? Uh, because where else can you go? And, you know, in one, you're talking about blockchains, you know, or you're talking about, I shouldn't say blockchains. You're talking about blockchain. Then you're talking about the Google Titan key. Next thing you know, you're talking about the Rocky movies. Somebody's pulling out a Gladius from, <laughs> from out of nowhere. And then, you know, then we're talking about going to space with Jeff Bezos. And then next thing you know, holy shit, we're talking about finding Atlantis. You tell me where else you're going to go and you're going to do all of that. That's the sovereign universe for you, baby. So anyway, uh, th thank you. Someone in the YouTube uh, uh, chat just said you are the best host. I am honored by that. Thank you so much. And of course, uh, total thank you to all of my co-hosts as well. Just the most the most beautiful people on planet Earth. And yes, you are all of all of the co-hosts. And again, patrons, you're beautiful, too. I love you. So anyway, thank you so much. Uh, we'll wrap up the, the uh, live hangout Q&A here and uh, lots of other content to come out throughout September. I know we're already halfway through the month. I can't believe it, but a lot to come. So I will see all of you. Woo! on the other side.